everyone, Prem Ray here, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing David Vasileros, who is the podcast host of the Kid First Sports Podcast. David, could you tell us more about the inspiration behind starting the Kid First Sports Podcast? Yeah, man. First of all, Kareem, thanks for having me. Um, I love meeting new people. So this is maybe a byproduct of the podcast is I've met so many awesome people, people I never would have met um, in places all over this country, in Europe, in different places. So that in and of itself is amazing. I know you've probably had the same experience as you've been building the, the uh, One Soccer Nation uh, podcast. But yeah, I started doing this because I've always wanted to do something with soccer, but I didn't think I was going to be like a pro coach or, you know, start a club or anything like that. And, and I love kids and I love working with kids. I've done it my whole adult life. And I'm like, okay, one day it was like, I love kids. I love soccer. How can I put them together? And what I realized is now at my age, my kids, are, I have four sons, but they're all mostly grown. I, I realized that um, there were some things I wish I knew when I was a younger dad and a younger coach. And, and I needed those. I, I wanted to package the things up that I'd learned and share them with people who are coaching and parenting now and maybe help some kids and some families um, that I wish I could have gotten help uh, myself in my younger days. So I started the podcast. Absolutely. That's amazing. You know, what really inspired me about you was how the first time we ever spoke was how passionate you were about the kids. And it's not about the winning. It's about how we're positively impacting the next generation to come. Right. And sport is just a great vehicle to bring us together and stay on a positive track. And it brings people together. Um, but, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask, I'm going to go a little off track from where I was going is, you know, how did you get involved in the beautiful game? And and why kids first podcast? Ah, yeah, man. Um, I grew up, my dad was a collegiate wrestler and a scientist and uh, had never played soccer, grew up in the West and, and didn't really know anything about it. And then through his kind of job career changes, we ended up in a place where he got on this um, indoor soccer team with some colleagues, young guys, and, and it, he got the bug. He absolutely loved it. He, 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 if he, tell, he tells this story where the first time they showed up for the, it was indoor soccer. It was in Kansas City. It was one, you know, it was like the arena with the walls and the AstroTurf. It was not like it is today. He showed up and there was all these older gentlemen on the other team. And he looked over, you know, young guys in his late 20s, collegiate athlete. He's like, we got these guys. And then they tore him to shreds, right? These young guys were just running around with their heads cut off. These guys, these older guys who knew how to play the game. And my dad was fascinated. So he brought that home to us. And I have two older brothers. We all played. And he got us all on the same team. So I was playing like two, three years up. He was coaching. We got into the rec system. And that's like, I got hooked. There was something about soccer that got me. And we played a lot of sports, but soccer was specific. Um, in the way that it appealed to me. Maybe it was the way my brain worked. Maybe it was the, the complexities of having so many people at the same time trying to work together and, and against each other. Either way, played, played in the street, played at the parks, joined teams. And uh, my older brothers kind of quit playing and I just stuck with it. Um, so I've loved it. My, my, one of my first soccer watching memories. Now you're younger than me, so <laughs> you've had opportunities to watch soccer in the states or you know 
on the internet and you can watch a Champions League and you watch. When I was young, you could watch nothing. And the first time I saw soccer was the 1990 World Cup in Italy. And they had like commercial breaks every 15 minutes. And, and I didn't know the difference, but I was like, what is happening on the screen? This is unbelievable. So I remember I stuck tapes into the VCR and we recorded the games with all the stupid uh, commercial breaks. And I would watch these games over and over and over, like the, the Holland and the German, West Germany game and, and the, the final Maradona's playing and, and Scalacci who scores all these goals for Italy, he's a little short guy, just amazing stuff. I'm like, this is my game. I love this. So I played my whole life, high school and college and all that stuff. And I got into coaching and, and, um, and as I mentioned about the podcast, it's, it's interesting when you think about how can I make a difference? And first of all, the biggest difference I can make was with my own kids, right? Doing it right, doing it better as a soccer dad. The next way I could make a difference was as a coach, helping other people's kids. And I'm like, so I've done those things and I keep doing those things. I'm like, can I get this message out on a little bit bigger scale? Can I talk to people like you, Kareem? Can I, can I connect with people around the world to say, can we talk about these values and, and why winning isn't the, it should not be the first goal or objective for youth sports? It should be one, just not the first one. And that's kind of how this all came together. Absolutely. I love that story so much. What, when you were in Italy, watching soccer on that tv and then putting in that cube that vcr I, i've i've touched those two I've, I've seen them i've used them <laughs> so i know what you're talking about and you were recording that but what in your mind got you hooked to the game to then make you want to record mm. it but more so focusing on like what really kept your attention and what made you enjoy it yeah I, some of it is, um, and to be not too personal, but uh, I have ADHD, and part of that when I, and I just got diagnosed like three or four months ago, so this is new. But in that, looking back in my life, I, it now makes sense. Like a lot of stuff makes sense for how my brain works. And part of it when I was a kid was I, I loved. I would latch on to something, and I'd go deep. Like that would be the thing, and it would get all my attention. And um, funny story, dated my now wife, we've been married 24 years. Uh, we were dating in high school. And if you asked her, she would tell you without missing a beat that I would ditch her at any opportunity if my buddies called. They're like, hey, we're going to play. I'm like, yep, Bonnie, I'm out. Uh, they called them. We have a tournament or we're going to go play indoor. We're going to play at the park. And so I just found this, this um, in incredible, ah, what's the right word for it? It gave me something, and it was social, it was physical, it was um, mental, like intellectual, it was difficult, right? You didn't have a coach telling you what to do. It was, hey, we're going to practice these things. And, a, and then 22 guys had to go out and make decisions every second for 80 or 90 minutes. I mean, you know how this works at a much higher level than I ever played, but I love the idea that every player on a soccer field is the quarterback. Every player, they all get to make game, potentially game-changing decisions all the time. So I, I latched onto that. And, um, and, you know, I also grew up with a bunch of really awesome kids who love to play. So that doesn't hurt. Uh, so I'm Greek. So all my Greek friends, 
we would get together, we'd play all the time in their backyard, and and so it became the thing. I didn't have Nintendo or Sega or cable or anything like that, so we played outside. So that's kind of how I got stuck in on it. Nice. What was the highest level that you played, and what age did you stop playing soccer on the field? Yeah, well, I played. So I played in college. I played at uh, uh, BYU has a national championship club team, which was awesome. They're very, very good players. So I went to Brigham Young University and played there for a couple seasons. Then transferred to Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So I finished there. It's a Division three school. So I played in college, and um, uh, what I realized was, by the way not everyone gets to play at two places. And I realized at a higher level, it's not necessarily the skill that's different. And, and I think you can probably attest to this. There's great skill all the way up and down the levels in college. The difference was the commitment levels, the fitness levels, the strength, the sacrifices you're making off the field, all of that. So when I stepped down from BYU and played at Muhlenberg, great kids, great experience, um, good skill. But it was like, hey, this is something we do as well as a million other things that we do, which was a little different for me, but it was good too. Got it. When you were in college still playing, in mind, did you know that your career was going to come to an end and you were planning for that end? Or was it something that happened and then you said, okay, what's next? Because as athletes, yeah. we tie our identity to the sport that we're playing and it's very hard mm. to detach we usually stay there for a very long time so and everyone's experience is different differently based based on the plan on how in-depth they go so what was that like for you yeah so i was a little bit different of a player you know i was older i was 23 i had a kid i was married um and i was just a sophomore and when you're that age and you have family responsibilities, you think a little differently than when you're a little younger, you're single, you're kind of dreaming about what you want to be. For me, it was, I'm starting a family. I've started a family and how do I support myself? And what's my long, my long game? And uh, for me, it was law school and a career in the health, healthcare industry. And that's been awesome. In terms of the identity, you asked me about or mentioned identity. It's funny you say that because even though I knew I was never going to be a professional player, I always thought of myself as a soccer player. I play soccer. And, and hey, I'm a college player, which whatever. But, but you have that like in your head. And you may not address it or articulate it all the time. But in the back of your mind, it's always there. Like you drive past a soccer field, Kareem. And you look over there and you have thoughts like, you know, those guys are pretty good. You know, I could hang with those guys. Or I remember when I did this, you know, you don't want to do it necessarily. It just happens because that's such a big part of your life. And so for me, my identity has slowly had to change. And this is something maybe we talk about later, but um, I'm not a player anymore. I love soccer. I play with the kids, but I'm not a soccer player. Now I'm a, an adult who loves to help kids who are playing soccer have great experiences and there's just like this shift that happens yeah I, I think it's so unique i mean getting married at 22 having a kid at a child at 23 starting a family you have to be as you mentioned very focused very intentional very disciplined and and provide mm -hmm. protect so not there's at least from people that i know in my space and my network there's I don't know a lot of individuals that are that got married at 22, maybe at 23, a few, but have are having kids, and we're living in different economic 
uh, economics at the moment in 2023 around the world. So, um, you know, what advice would you provide to young people in regards to your career? You know, soccer, sometimes not for everyone's going to be, not, not everyone's going to be able to go pro. That's for the top 1%. The second thing is um, planning after so your, your sport. And then the third thing, becoming very focused and intentional. I know I, load, I loaded it up with those three, but can you just provide some advice to our audience about yeah. those three things? Yeah, man. Well, first of all, I am no expert in doing life the right way or the best way. Um, I, 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 we've had serious ups and downs and uh, life challenges, like health challenges, lost jobs. Um, just all the really, the things that come at you in life as you age, like we're all going to get them. So I don't come at this from a, a perspective of being the expert. What I'll share is the, some of the things that have, that have kept us happy and, and hopeful, despite things that life throws at you. Um, one is the strength of our relation. When I say, I keep saying we and our, I'm talking about me and my wife and like my family. Finding the thing that centers you beyond just stuff that you want, right? Career is awesome. Career is not everything. Sports is awesome. Sports is not everything. And you know this one injury, one loss, like one day, one round of, of layoffs, and all that stuff changes. And who do you go home to, right? Like, mm -hmm. wh who do you turn to in those moments? So I'd say at, a, at as young an age as possible, start developing the ability to or practicing the ability to connect with people and to build strong bonds of trust and mutual love and care and all of that that's the stuff that matters so so that's number that could be with coaches it could be with uh, teammates it could be with with people at work whatever it is but to really center around relationships with other humans that are that are full of love and understanding that's the number one Number two, um, believe in something a little bit bigger than yourself. Um, and, and for me, you might be a person of faith, so that might be God or a religion. You might have, a, you might have causes that you really feel strongly about that, you can, that give your life and your efforts meaning and purpose. That's number two. Find something bigger. I know for you, Kareem, you have a big dream, big vision. I love it. And that drives you in the times that are tough you can latch on to that you find other people who share that and you guys kind of work together to it's awesome so something outside of ourselves and the third one for me is look at your habits and i don't if you're a player if you're trying to build your career you're doing all this stuff your habits are the things that you carry with you you don't i don't carry a title or a job, or, or even my accolades from playing sports, you don't take those with you, really. You carry the habits that you made. So how do you deal with being told you're not good enough? How do you respond when you fail? I mean, good grief. Can I tell you a quick soccer story? Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm playing, I get, I'm a freshman at BYU. And uh, there, I mean, these are all players who could have played at Division One, but wanted to be at this school. Uh, they're awesome players. I thought I was good. I showed up there. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, maybe I'm not that good. So my freshman year, 
and I never, I'm, I never play. I play a couple of minutes here and there. And um, I finally get on the field. We're playing a big rival. The last five, ten minutes of a tight game. I'm in the six-yard box, a little to the right of the goal. And I have the ball. I'm about to shoot. And I just take this swipe at it and completely whiff. I mean, straight up, strike. Gone. Missed the ball. The ball rolls out of bounds. You hear, A, the student section for the other team busting up, right? They think this is hilarious. They start shouting and making fun of me. I look over. My, own, my coach is like, he's like got his arms up looking at me like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why did And in that moment, I'm like, hmm, what are you going to do for the next five minutes? <laughs> so, so it's what I'm talking about. Like, what are my habits? What did I fall back on? when I just had a seriously embarrassing setback in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And it was, well, I love this game. I am who I am. I kind of smiled at myself, felt a little foolish. And then I got up and I busted my hump to try to win the next tackle, right? Like that's what I could do. So it's the habits of dealing with the hard things that you can pull from sports that matter the most, not the level you played, not the trophies, not the scholarships, uh, it's the habits. Those are the three things I'd say. Yeah, thank you for sharing those three things. What you just reminded me of was sports can teach us a lot about life. And, you know, someone that I think about who is an advisor at One Soccer Nation is Quincy Ameriqua. Um, he, he played in the MLS for a few years. He's won the MLS. And every time you know, he's sharing something in, that's happening in life. He'll give me a soccer example, which was pretty cool. I've never experienced something like that. And what you just shared reminded me of that. So I wanted to drop that in there. And again, sports teaches us so much about life, communication, teamwork, hard work. What you just said, respond, you know, that was embarrassing, but how do I respond to this? Get back up. Let's go on the next tackle. So there's a lot to learn from there. I've had the chance to to go through your website to create questions. Um, there is some information that you that there's the statistic that seventy percent of kids quit youth sports by the age of thirteen, which is quite concerning. What are some common reasons you've come across for this trend, and how does your podcast aim to combat it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's terrifying. If you ask me, as a, as a dad of four sons, my youngest is now sixteen. And, and, and you know this, I mean, you're a bit younger than me, Kareem, but if you think back to your, your teenage years, let's call it 13 to 16, right? Those are like the most volatile, full of change, hormones, and your body's changing in the social environment. And it's like the world's like exploding inside your head every day, trying to figure out who you are and all that stuff. And sports can be an unbelievable tool to help you through those moments, right? Coaches, I'm sure you have a coach from your teenage years that was a little bit of a mentor and a guide, maybe a stabilizing force in those crazy years. If 70% of our kids quit playing sports by that age, by 13, where are they turning? Like, who are they turning to for the stabilization, for the mentoring, for the guidance. And you know this, I mean, I don't know how you thought of your parents at that age, but at that age, I was like, my parents know nothing. 
I'm not going to go ask them for a lot of help, right? It was all friends and coaches and other people. What if you don't have those people in your life? Who are you turning to? TikTok, right? Who are, who are they, they going to learn? Who are they going to ask hard questions of? And, and who's going to put their arm around them and say, hey, man, it looks like you're struggling a little bit. You want to talk about it? Who's going to do that? So 70% of our kids aren't, aren't having that experience. And there's a couple reasons in my, in my view and, and research that I've done in, in, in this space. One, it just stops being fun. Kids stop playing because it, stopped, it stops being fun. How many of us do things that we hate for very long unless we're like paid for it? Uh, not many. So if the kids aren't having fun and they're quitting, whose fault is that? Do you know whose fault that is, Kareem, for 13-year-olds? Our fault. It's grown-ups' fault. It's the coaches. It's the parents. And they're sucking the fun out of youth sports because now they think, well, Johnny's going to be a pro, but if he's going to be a pro, that means he has to have all this extra training, more fitness, specialized practices. He's going to travel all over the country. And Johnny just literally wants to play with his friends and get some exercise. But mom and dad think that he's going to be a pro and they all their hopes and dreams are wrapped up in their kid. And coaches are getting paid. So they, of course, say, yeah, absolutely, Johnny has potential, but keep paying us $4,000 and we'll make this happen, right? Like, that's what's happening. How many kids are going to be pros? Like, none. So kids are not, it's less fun, so they quit. The parents are putting too much pressure on them, so they quit. Coaches are too involved and, too, and they care too much about winning. And most kids don't, so they quit. Uh, can you remember a game you played when you were 13? And you thought afterwards, wow, I want to sit down and analyze this game. And I hope my coach yells at me for 10 minutes afterwards about all the things that I did wrong so that I can work on them and get better at practice next week. Do you remember any of those days? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. So adults think that that's what kids want. Kids forget about the game they just played within like five minutes of the game ending. They're on their phones. They're thinking about McDonald's. They're like, oh, I got to go hang out with my friends. I want to play Smash Bros. Like that's what they're thinking about. It's the adults who are like, we got we to gotta do this. So that, that's what I think. And I think adults bear all that responsibility, which is part of the reason why we do Kid First Sports. Yeah, that's amazing. So... You know, I'm, I'm trying to think back when I was 13 to, to 16, quitting was never a thought that came across my mind. It was always wanting to go pro, but every, each kid is different. So everyone has a different goal. Um, you know, so, you know, a coach that, that comes to mind is Coach Bassam from A&B Academy uh, back home in Canada. He, uh, I'm not too sure if the numbers still stand strong, but he used to have 500 kids in his academy. And he, he was such a very passionate, hard, loving coach, hard love, hard love. And it, mm -hmm. was, it was really good. It was really refreshing. But I want to share something here. I remember always having a feeling of making a, something I'd never liked. It, it was only until I gained confidence that I was able to, to beat this mm -hmm. challenge. I never liked feeling like making a mistake was scary. Mm. And 
on the field. And I think that sometimes, again, we're, we're going with this kids first podcast, young people, there needs to be a more positive communication that's hard, but more so installing that if you make a mistake, just don't either repeat it again or get better at it, but don't try to keep that player there mentally and hands up in the air, you know, getting upset at them. Like just those type of thing, those type of things. And I remember just having some experiences like that. And I, you know, looking back at that, I'm like, I wish that coach maybe would have been like, pulled me to the side and, and said, Hey, I, I know you're making this mistake, but this is how you, they'll tell me how to tweak it, but maybe have a more positive affirmation, uh, you know, a boost. So, you know, that, that would be something that I reflected on a little bit right now. And it wasn't until I gained confidence in my ability to not repeat that bad habit and just execute mm -hmm. and then gain the confidence from the coach and, and then that blossoms into a beautiful flower. So, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Can I, can I comment on that real quick? Yeah. Um, um, kids are different now. Okay. Kids are different than, and, and again, I know you're much younger than me. So, so when I talk about this, I mean, when we were kids, as in when I was a kid, let's call it the eighties and nineties, even before that, you know, who I was coached by were people who grew up in the sixties and maybe the 70s, right? So these are people who, who were coached by people who grew up in the 50s. And, and you'll see this kind of link of, of, of coaching mentality and, and philosophy where it's like, hey, you know, man up, get up, rub some dirt on it. And hey, if you screw up, you're out, you know, and all this kind of hardcore stuff that you associate with maybe football coaches or whatever, but it's very American. And, um, and certainly I grew up with coaches who were, who were hardcore. I also grew up with some really, had some really good coaches, but kids today do not resonate by and large with the approach that coaches took with me 30 years ago. They just don't. I have, remember I've raised four teenage sons. I'm in it like now, and they just don't. And what I've observed is if, if a coach can earn the trust of a player, that player will do anything for them. Mm. But coaches think that they get trust by being the coach. Sorry, not, not true. You have to, like any leader, think about any leader you've ever read about or been around. They have to earn the respect and the trust of the people that they're asking to follow them. Coaches have to, they have to take that on, especially I'll speak to younger coaches. Maybe they just finished their college career, pro career. They want to be coaches. With all due respect to people who've played at the professional level, once you start to coach, you are not a player anymore. And being an ex-pro is great. We care about that when we're signing up or when we, you know, oh, I want to play for Kareem. But after the first training session, you know what matters? What matters is, can I earn the trust of my players and their families? And that comes from what I call the four heart lessons. Mm. Can I share another story with you? I, just stories after stories keep coming up in my mind. That's the best way. When you said earning the trust of the player and that, that player is attached to parents and 
also earning the trust and respect from the parents. It reminds me of, I've coached players and not me, like I've met parents, but a really close engagement or intimate engagement that I really had was when I was doing a shoot for one soccer nation. And I got, it was a more, it was a bit of a experience with, with the parent first of thanking them for the opportunity to allow their, to let me film this uh, promotional video and coach them for a little bit and Mm -hmm. to, you know, not going as a coach for somebody else, but as a coach for myself, for one soccer nation, for something that I was doing for them to bless me with that opportunity and say, Hey, yeah, you could film my child, get the green light for that. Yeah. We'll take 30 minutes out and, and bring our child to the pitch and train and that trust. Um, it, it's such a cool experience. And parents have to not have to, but parents, when you earn that from the parents, it's so cool. And the whole thing is just maintaining that and maintaining a positive and fun experience for the child um, and keeping it consistent. So it, it just reminds me of that, that experience because I've coached before, but it was already set. That foundation was set. It was me going in mm-hmm. and doing my part and not really having right. that intimacy with the parent. So it was more so with the, with the players creating that yeah. fun, exciting, positive space for them. So it just yeah. reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. In your opinion, what are the most significant misconceptions or challenges surrounding youth sports and how does that adopt kids first approach, help address them? Oof, man, that is, that's like right on the head. Um, misconception number one, my kids sporting experience or success or failure reflects on me as a parent. Okay. That's a misconception and it's, it's rife. I mean, it's everywhere. And Adults may not say it out loud, but I've been around this long enough, okay? Uh, you're watching little, little Jimmy or little Jane play, and they do something great. Well, you turn to your right and to your left, and the, and the parents next to you are like, great job, Dad. Wow, you must be so proud of your child. And it's really hard to then not say, well, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty great. You know, look what I made and well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so talented little Jim. So there's this thing where the parents have an unhealthy attachment to their children's success or failure in sports. It's personalized to them. That's a major problem, major problem. You know why? parents have fights on the sidelines? You know why they scream at refs? You know why they belittle the other team's players? All these things I've watched myself, right? You've seen them probably your whole career. Why are parents acting this way? Because they have this weird too personal attachment to the outcomes that their kids are, 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 are going for, as if it's a reflection on them personally. It's not. It's not. Kid for Sports says, uh, there's there's four main lessons. I talk about these the heart lessons, and um, one of them is, in fact, number three is my performance is not my value. 
My performance is not my value. What I do on a field or a court or, 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 or in a swimming pool or on a track is not a reflection on who I am and what my, my value as a human being is. Well, I'd love to extend that to the parents. Parents, your child's value to you and to the community and in, 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 in their world is not connected to their performance on the field. So give them a break, like detach a little from making sure their performance is so awesome. Um, that's a major problem and it's driving kids away. Um, here's another misconception. Um, in fact, I saw a there's a statistic out there. Um, one of the big financial firms in, in the country interviewed some of their, or, or a bunch of their clients who had kids playing sports. And I think the number was something like 57% of sports dads believe that their kid is going to get a Division I college scholarship for sports. 57. Okay, you know what the numbers are. <laughs> They're not 57, right? It's like 2 to 3%. And, and what does that say? to the kids. Do you think the kids don't feel that pressure? You think the kid doesn't know that their dad has hopes and dreams of them going pro or playing, getting to D1 scholarship or playing the Olympics? Of course those kids know. They feel it and they hear it from the stands in the, in, in the words that dad uses after the game or before the game or during the game. And um, that's a problem too. So one of the things I do with Kid for Sports is I, I do workshops with parents. And I give them different vocabulary. I teach them words to use before the game, during the game, after the game, before practice, after practice. Teaching them to say things that, that make the kid say, oh, my dad actually just loves to be part of my sporting experience. Oh, my mom is okay whether I play or sit on the bench. My parents love coming and watching me do this thing that I really enjoy. Well, we have to say those words and then we have to act that way at games. You know what I mean? Like you can't just say, I love watching you play. It's really great. And then scream from the bench or scream from the stands when the <laughs> ref gets a bad call. Yeah. So, so, and that's what's happening. So that's the work that I do is I, I try to give people new vocabulary to connect with their kids about sports and, and, I, you wouldn't believe the way that it changes the relationship between the adults and the kids when the kid comes off the field. And, and I don't know if we're going to show this on, on video or if it's just going to be audio, but let's do this. If you see the dad like this, arms folded, head down, kind of eyebrows, like you know he's mad about what just happened. If you're the kid, are you going to be running over to your dad to talk to him after the game? Or are you going to be like trying to avoid him, right? So what if you come off the field and your dad is smiling? He's holding hands. If, if, if your mom's there, he's holding your mom's hand and he's smiling and his eyes are like this. And he's just so excited to give you a hug after the game and be like, oh my gosh, that was literally the greatest hour and a half of my week. I, it was awesome watching you. What's the difference? You know, how would you feel in your relationship with your parent? And, and I could go on and on about this, but at the end of the day, your kids, our kids are not going to be professional. Even if they become professional, they're not going to do that forever. 
They're going to be regular people. They're going to be moms and dads and all these other things. What do you want to teach them? You want to teach them that parents love and support their kids unconditionally. That parents are safe places for kids to go and look to for love and support and help in the hard times, right? That's what we're trying to do with Kid First Sports. I love that. That's amazing. You know, that reminds me of going and I don't get to watch my brother play often. I just seen him a few days. I go and he sees me and he gets so excited, you know, and it's, it just, it's so nice. It's such a nice feeling. And, you know, I've, I've trained him. So, you know, he's definitely gotten better. And after he's done practice, I seen him and it's like, you're looking good out there and his face just lights up and he just feels good. And it's just yep. such a good feeling to feel as well. So I, I totally yep. understand that. What role does the podcast play in building? A, you, you mentioned this in the role that, and what you guys are doing. How can parents and um, coaches reach out to you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I mean, website's easy, kidfirstsports.com. Um, the podcast as well is just, you know, you can look it up. It's everywhere, Kid First Sports. Um, usually what I, what I, how I connect with people, it's LinkedIn, it's Facebook, Instagram, and then through the website. And people say things like, um, there's, I have lots of good stories, but things like, uh, hey, my husband has been listening to your podcast and it's totally changed the way that he, ha that he interacts with his kids who are also playing. Or, um, you know, I wish my kid had a coach who believed this way or knew these things before. It's so meaningful. You know, for, if you've seen The Matrix, there's this red pill, blue pill thing, right? Of course, yeah. And, and it's, a little bit it's a little bit overused, okay? But, but once an adult, let's call it a coach or even a sports parent, once they see that there's another way it's hard to unsee. They could maybe not go that way, but once they see that it's, that it can be different, it changes something. And I'll just speak for myself. About two years ago, my father-in-law, and this is embarrassing to me, my father-in-law wouldn't sit next to me at his grandson's high school games because I was yelling and doing all the things that, that I'm, pre-red pill, right? Uh, win first, Dave. I was doing all those things. I was trying to be protective and I was yelling at the refs for bad calls and I was this and that and the other. He wouldn't sit next to me. That's embarrassing. Like, what am I doing? And so, and, and so we'll say we're all on a journey to be better people, okay? All of us. I've done all the bad behaviors that I preach against, but it doesn't mean I'm not trying to be better. So I invite people to say, okay, just try to be a little different once. And, and I'm doing that myself. I wear, I wear these wristbands that say kid first coach. And I have a, a one that says kid first fan. Look, kid first fan. I don't know if you can see in the camera, but um, so I look down when I'm about to yell or, and I'm starting to feel mad. And I'm like, wait, who's this about? Is this about me? Oh yeah, this is about me. Okay. Let me back off and let me remind myself, I love my kids, man. My kids are leaving home and this time is short. I don't want to waste a second being angry about it, you know? Amazing. Amazing. David, um, was there anything I missed or that you wanted to add in? 
Um, yeah, I'll, I'll add one more thing, and this is really quick. Parents, coaches, mostly parents, let's say parents, parents, have you asked your kid lately what they really want? Have you had a, an open and unpressured conversation about whether they really want to keep playing? or playing on that team or at that level or, or traveling all over, doing all this. If you have, great. Have it about once every two to four weeks. And after about six or seven of those questions or conversations, your son or daughter might start telling you the truth because they don't want to let us down. They know how much money we're spending. They know how important it is to us because they see us on the stands and it's, we're all into it. They don't want to let us down. Parents, give your kids the freedom and, and the opportunity to make this their choice. And if your 15-year-old who's played at an academy and has traveled and is MLS next and is starting to get scouted says, I think I want to try water polo. Freaking let them play water polo. Right? Like, let them make their choices. Ask the questions over and over. Let them tell you. And I'll tell you what, if you do that, those kids are actually going to start owning what they want. Instead of feeling that pressure from you, they're going to start saying, no, this is what I want. I am willing to do the extra work because I choose it, not because of pressure from you or expectations from you. So that'd be my last bit of advice. Ask your kids. Do you want to keep playing the sport? Do you want to try something else? And ask them over and over and over. David, thank you so much. Can people get the shirts, the bands on the website? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'm still listen, my website is 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 little right now. But yes, you can get some gear. You can check it out. Kid first here. I have a couple shirts. They're really cool. And it says, I love to watch you play on the front. Um there's banners and different things. And, and yeah, so I'm building that out. But yeah, you can get some, some swag at the website. Uh, this is a passion. This is like a, a labor of love for me. I'm not making the big bucks here. But I'm hearing stories of parents and kids who are, who are connecting and changing. And that's the best payment I could ever have. Amazing. Guys, I'm going to have everything linked up in the description down below to check out Kids First Sports Podcast. You guys can check out the website. David, it's, it's such a pleasure. I'm so happy that you're doing this passion, the love for the game. I hear it. And, and just the things that you teach are so valuable. I'm not a dad yet. Um, I've had a dad and I understand how important it is to have both your parents, your mom and your dad and the influence that they have on you and what you're doing to change parents' approach to the game, the way they speak, body language everything is so important and i appreciate the work that you're doing and i just want to say thank you for joining us on the one stop connection podcast my pleasure man keep up the great work thank you